When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. From Capitol Hill to the White House, the Courthouse to the State House, the FTC to the State Attorney General. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business foreign and domestic. And have your questions answered by our group of legal experts. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. We're broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in sunny downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Thanks for joining us. We're continuing our Miami Book Fair series, and we're talking with Mark Leibovich, he's the author of Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times, and Mark is the chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. He's a recipient of the National Magazine Award for Profile Writing, and he's also the author of three books, including the number one New York Times bestseller of this town about political culture of the 21st century Washington, D.C., and uh, prior to joining the Times, he worked in national politics in the New York Times Washington Bureau. So thank you for joining us, Mark. Uh, my pleasure. Good to be with you. Um, your book is being very well received. Um, Yahoo Sports said, Big Game is an exceptional new behind-the-scenes book. It's a monster movie disguised as investigative journalism running from 2014 right up to this year. Leibovich narrator presents the NFL's owners and commissioner in all their bumbling, well-meaning, self-serving, and satisfied glory. Um, you got to love those. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, whatever. hey, whatever, whatever gets people excited. But um, your book is, in essence, the, the sports equivalent of the Nines or the Brethren, uh, you know, in terms of you know giving an inside look to a, a cloistered world. In this in this case, it's the the NFL owners. Right. Yeah, there is some of that. I mean, I, I think that was sort of the big takeaway for me was just how much 
uh, first of all, how much power these billionaire owners have, but also how insular this, this culture was and how little I knew about them. And I was, I was pretty shocked, frankly, at how much access I was able to get and, and how much time I was get, I got to spend just sort of talking to, to, you know, a lot of the owners and, you know, a lot of the people who work in the league office and commissioner Goodell and, and, you know, a lot of players like, like Tom Brady, um, being one of them so it, it was really i mean i didn't realize how the degree to which this was such a uh, sort of subculture or sort of a world all its own beyond what we see on the field and, and on the sort of um, tv approved um, productions that that the nfl provides for us so yeah no it's, it's very much a behind the scenes look I well what what sets them apart from owners of other leagues you think yeah i mean i think part of it is is just they have so much power within the league structure. I mean, other leagues have um, a much more of a, a structure where, first of all, the unions are stronger, but but also um, the commissioner tends to, to have more free reign. And, and this is very much a trade group. I mean, this is 32 uh, billionaires, uh, essentially almost entirely men, entirely white, and and they just sort of get to decide everything. And the commissioner works for them um and he can also in a weird way discipline them and 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 hurt their reputations and hurt their franchises and so forth so it's a weird dynamic but um, mostly it did remind me i mean the brethren was an interesting parallel you drew i mean it, it did remind me very much of of just a kind of an oligarchy of of people who are you know kind of they think they operate in the shadows but really they own the whole kit and caboodle and um yeah, so that that to me, I think just the degree of power they have relative to the rest of the league was what surprised me, you know, especially compared to how it works in other leagues. Now, in in your book, it's it, the NFL in dangerous times, and there are a number of things that are, are dangerous for the league at this time. Obviously, you cover some of them, or the you know, the whole um, concussion issue, um, declining TV right. revenue, and then the whole political polarization over the you know, the, the kneeling of, you know, the Kaepernick protests. Sure. Yeah. Would, no, I mean, there are a lot of things that, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I think there, there are a lot of, I mean, the, the danger comes in many forms. And I mean, to me, the, the, the chief danger is, is that the popularity of the game and, and really the greatness of the game is, is what keeps the golden goose so fat, but ultimately um, it's the people who run it. It, it, it happens. It succeeds in spite of, and rather than because because of the people who run it and own it. And um, I just don't have any sense of the, that the leadership of the league, and I try to detail this in, in big game, has any clue on how to handle the next crisis. And the thing about the NFL in recent years is there's always been a crisis, and they've proven again and again that they are very good at making them worse quite often. And um, you just never know. I mean, you get a sense just in hanging around a lot of the owners that despite all the prosperity, there's a sense that the chandeliers is going to drop on their heads like at any moment. And they are not convinced they have the people in charge to, to handle these things. And long term, I mean, obviously a lot of your book focuses on Roger Goodell. How, yeah. How, where do you see I – mean, how, how much longer do you think Goodell will be commissioner? Well, he's got another four or five years on a contract. Um, you know, he got an extension for that could you know, make him another two hundred million dollars starting nice. next year. So, um, you know, he's he's signed up. I mean, it's unlike most of the players; he has a guaranteed contract, so he's going to get paid, 
either way. Um, you know, he's in his late fifties, so it could well likely be his last contract. It's, it's unclear if it will be, but, but you would certainly, um, you would certainly uh, think that, you know, this might be the end of the line for him. But I also think that if you talk to owners and I, and I did, there's a lot of quiet, um, but also kind of growing dissatisfaction with him and, and that they don't have a sense that he is a person who can really lead them long-term. And one of the things I found in, in reporting big game was just the, the level of short-term thinking that dominates, you know, largely because a lot of these guys who, who own the teams are just so, rich to begin with and so old to begin with it doesn't tend to foster you know how things are going to look 10 years 20 years 30 years down the road as far as you know what the game is going to look like because they'll most likely be dead or um you know their teams will be in people in other people's hands so um yeah i mean i think that the league is a status quo league and roger goodell is someone they all know he's been working there for almost four decades and um you know it's not a place where any kind of subversive or even imaginative thinking gets gets going that that could actually bring in a more um, innovative outsider to to a league um, that could really shake things up. Now, among the owners, and I know in the, the book you you speak you know, warmly about um, the late Steeler owner um, Rooney, but who, yeah. who else among the owners impressed you? Well, I mean, look, I mean, the ones who get all the attention are, you know, Jerry Jones in Dallas, Robert Kraft in New England, um, you know, the, the, the Maras in, with the Giants and the Rooney family in Pittsburgh. But I do think that um, the ones that impressed me more were, were, frankly, some of the younger, newer breed of owners, um, people like Shad Khan of the Jacksonville Jaguars, people like, um, you know, maybe uh, I would say – uh, I, I guess Jeffrey Lurie of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Jed York of the 49ers. I mean, those are some of the younger, more, I think, progressive and sort of more global looking um, owners. And, and I also think that, you have people like, um, uh, like, like uh, David Tepper, who is the new owner of the Carolina Panthers, who bought the team after Jerry Richardson, who was one of the old line owners, who was one of the founders of, he, he founded, a bunch of he used to own a whole bunch of Hardee's fast food restaurants, which is how he made his money. Um, he was forced to sell his team last year after a whole wave of sexual harassment allegations. Um, I mean, you, you do think slowly but surely as some of the older owners get either you know sick or die off, there'll be a, maybe a younger, more innovative breed of, of owners. Um, and I also was pretty impressed with some of the number twos at some of the teams, some of the. Uh, next generation people like Tony Khan, who is Shad Khan's son in Jacksonville, Jonathan Kraft, who is uh, Robert's son in, in New England. Um, people like, you know, I guess Rich McKay, who was the number two in Atlanta, very impressive guy. So I did meet a number of very impressive sort of, um, you know, maybe more business school McKinsey type who, who do, I think, a lot more looking around corners than their, than their forebears actually did. No, I, I know there's one owner in particular you have you don't necessarily think very highly of, and uh, and he's actually the, the owner in the, the market you live in. Uh, and uh, that was, would, oh, Snyder, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, Dan Snyder would be, yeah, I would say that he is probably the least popular of, of all the owners that, that I dealt with, and I can see why. I mean, he's not exactly um, a warm and fuzzy type. But, I mean, I used to live, I mean, I used to live in D.C. In fact, I got I'm I'm from New England as well, I'm from Rhode yeah. Island, and uh, I I went to school in D.C. and arrived 
the same year as Joe Gibbs. And uh-huh. I, and Wait, I left the first time or the second time? The first time. That's a good point. The oh, very okay. first time in 81. Right. And I left in 94. Oh, wow. So I saw the three Super Bowl um, wins. And, yeah, that's uh, glory is. Yeah, yeah it, it really was. And, and just seeing the city respond to the team when they went from being, you know, I think Gibbs was what lost his first five games yeah. and, and just the excitement of it all and seeing the, the, yeah. the city, the way they adored that team. And then to go back yeah. now and see a, a city that's almost indifferent about the yeah. Redskins, and it's just it's, it, it, it's shocking. It's true. No, it, it is pretty shocking. I mean, I actually think the Washington Redskins are, are are kind of an interesting object lesson on what happens to a very successful NFL business. I mean, one thing you cannot deny with the Dan Snyder Washington Redskins is they've made a ton of money. They have squeezed so much revenue out of what is still an extremely valuable brand and and certainly i mean there's been a lot of um they have more competition than they used to be i mean the washington nationals are here now and they've been successful um certainly in in get drawing up interest i mean the washington capitals won the stanley cup last year um i mean there's a new downtown sort newish downtown stadium that you know has, has done pretty well with the washington wizards and the capitals playing there so i mean but, but at the same time i mean given the power of the redskins in this market and given the money that snyder's been able to to make on the team um, there is just so much bad will around here for this team. And largely, a lot of that is just driven by the owner and his own, you know, just ham-handed way. He has sort of handled a lot of the teams. And the team hasn't been particularly good over the last 20 years or so that he's owned the team. Um, and then just he just has this way of um, just being very arrogant and just completely discounting the concerns of, of large portions of his fan base. And I think you're seeing – um, the fact that you know they their bogus sellout streak is no longer even called a sellout streak anymore, and they seem to be losing momentum in the market and, and popularity in the market. And I think that's entirely, um, I mean, it's it's entirely, I think, you know, largely, maybe not entirely, but largely attributable to to how the the, the team has been run and and them basically just taking for granted the popularity they've enjoyed for over several decades. I think that's a very. I think that's absolutely the case, and um, it's it's just astounding. You know, giving the like when I was there in the off season, you would see articles about um, you know the husband would die and the mother and the son would be in court over the season tickets. Yeah. But you know now the streak no, is sure. over, and it's just it's a very sad state of affairs. Um, yeah, I mean it's just yeah. I mean there's, there's a lot going on here. I mean I I think. You know, the, the Washington Redskins name is is sort of a cause celeb. It's something that people focus on, and and the Redskins will point to all kinds of polls that show that you know most Native Americans don't care that we call ourselves what some Native Americans would consider to be a, a slur. But look, that's just bad will. And if you are going to right. foster bad will with twenty percent of your, um, you know, it might not be a majority, but it's a big, significant portion of your fan base. Why not even discuss? the notion that maybe there's some middle ground here or maybe something you'd be willing to do. And I think that's emblematic of, of the arrogance that I think has really hurt the team. And it, it, what's really striking is that given that he, he's been you know, raising ticket prices, do this other things to make money, mm-hmm. I mean, changing the name would be an instant moneymaker. Everyone would have to, yeah. re, you, you're rebranding. Everyone would buy all new shirts, hats, whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends how you do it. I mean, I assume they will probably they would retain a piece of of the old name, and and there would be this sort of defiant slice of, of traditional fans who want to still wear their Redskin stuff. I mean, look, I mean, I, look, we're from New England, right? I mean, Patriots right. is not offensive to anyone that I know, but I mean, they probably make a ton of money on the old Patriot logo stuff. I mean, I but the Patriots had I have which you want logo, them to go back to. <laughs> I, I do want them to go back to I do I, yes I say as much but um, but I, I think you know there's probably a generation of fans over maybe forty who might agree with me and and um, no I just prefer that so look they get two bites of the apple and exactly you know if yeah so anyway there's there's a lot to be said for that I think so going going to the Patriots next yeah um you, and you, you you tell talk about writing to Jim Plunkett and inviting him to was it to dinner. Yeah. Uh, dinner, yes. Yes, that's very. Yeah, I was very... seven or actually, I was like nine years old. And and I've I've seen your interviews, and it's interesting. You always apologize for being a Patriot fan because you assume <laughs> everyone hates business, everyone everyone hates you. But um, yeah, what people forget is that we used to suck. <laughs> and, we did used to suck. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, and you mentioned Jim Plunkett and. Uh, I remember my, my first Patriot game was 1973. I actually saw the first touchdown wow. kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, Minnie Mac. Really? Mini I don't Mac know Aaron. if you remember that game. Yeah, and then years later, uh, I actually saw the first punt return with Mike Haynes. But um, and we only that. would go to yeah, one game so. a year. But um, yeah, what, more than I went to. We we went um, Columbus Day weekend. We we actually we drove by Foxborough, and just walked up to the box office to buy tickets. And there was mm-hmm. no problem. And there was no problem getting seats. Um, yeah. we got we got something for the last game of the year with San Diego, and um, yeah. And then we walked over to the the field, and it it wasn't locked because you know why would you lock it? Yeah. Who's going to come see the Patriots? And, right. Right. <laughs> and there on the field, there were players, and I walked up to Jim Plunkett, and huh. I would have been ten, and he's obviously much taller yeah. than I was at the time. And yeah. looked up at him like a skyscraper and said, "Can I have your autograph, sir?" And he's like, "Do you have a paper?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "No." Do you have a pen? And he's like, "No." Oh my so, gosh! Well, maybe yeah. next time, kid. And um, but then we we played catch <laughs> with funny. we catch catch with players, and you know my brothers were right. trying to kick field goals. You know, it you just can't. That's that's how low on the total yeah. when they were at that time. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that ship has sailed, definitely. I mean, look, I mean, in, in fairness, I think most teams have sucked, obviously. I mean, what's amazing, I think, about the Patriots is just the, the dynasty's just gone for so long. I mean, right. it's just, you can argue, I mean, who was the better team? But, I mean, like, we're looking at, like, 18 years now. I mean, that's right. just, like, it's an astounding run. And, you know, it could go 20 years. I mean, I think at this point, you're just um, – I mean, it's just, I mean, Vince Lombardi was in Green Bay for what, eight, nine years or something like that. I mean, uh, these things just don't last as long. So, I mean, there are like one, maybe two generations that would have absolutely no conception of them being a bad team. It's interesting you mentioned that because during the the Seattle Super Bowl, um, Mm -hmm. during that crazy ass play where I forget Mm -hmm. the receiver, you know, bobbled and caught that um, pass. Javon Kurtz. Yeah, that yeah. made everyone think of the helmet catch all over again. Um, yeah. As as I was freaking out, uh, a friend of mine said, "Bennett, relax. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have to win this time." And I I gave I him that look like, "What the 
what are you talking about? And he yeah. says, think about it. You know, our dads never saw them win. And we just, you know, we've seen them win a couple of times. We just saw the Red Sox win the World Series again. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay if we lose for once. And I, know. And no, I thought about it for a minute, and, and he was right. No, there's no question. Yeah, no, it, it is. You get so spoiled so quickly. Um, and, and look, I mean, looking around the league and just sort of seeing, I mean, uh, I remember, you know, I cover politics for a living and going to Cleveland uh, for the Republican convention in 2016, so two years ago. And, you know, Trump was about to be nominated and there was all these threats that there would be violence and there was so much bitterness and discord in in the air um and it's like wow we're walking into a riot here and um you got the sense in cleveland i mean like the cavaliers had just won the championship like two three weeks before and you just had the sense that the city despite everything was just something so positive had happened and you get a sense of just like what one championship can do to a community and um yeah and we've had like you know however many a dozen this century or whatever it's been and uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but, but you know, hey, we're, we're we'll we'll miss it when it's gone. We will, and it, I think a lot of it is tied to one person. Um, and that's yeah, the challenge. I think so. Yeah. Does the dynasty yeah. continue after after Brady? Now, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I bring up Plunkett, obviously, you know, just to kind of bring back the the old pre dynasty days, but also, you know, Plunkett's also instructive. Because um, yeah. he had that recent story where he was quoted as saying, "My life yeah. sucks," right in the San Jose Mercury News, your your, your old paper, and um, yeah. And in addition, you, know, you go on to talk about you know Tony Dorsett and, and some of the other athletes, and uh, you know it's a you have all these athletes now who are late in their lives and just miserable and. Yeah. You have yeah. some some alums like you know Troy Aikman, and I know Bo Jackson has said he won't allow his kids to play football. Right. And yeah. at the same I mean, time, that left and right. I, I saw rugby of all things, which when I was a kid, you know, you saw the bumper sticker "Give Blood Play Rugby," and right, I saw um, that, yeah. and they're 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 pitching themselves to parents as the safe alternative. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd let my kids play rugby. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to have daughters. Um, but, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, that that is, I mean, one of the recurring themes of, of Big Game was, was just you see this glory mingling so closely with um, with just this pain. And, and look, it, it just takes such a toll. And that's unavoidable. And, and the idea that, that football can somehow be made safe by some equipment, um, you know, tweak or some rule change or something is – is just a pipe dream. I mean, because these players, you know, just keep um, getting bigger, stronger, faster. And, and look, I mean, there's just no shortage of former players who are suffering some kind of significant um, post-career trauma or, or just some kind of physical or cognitive damage. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's out there. And I think what's different now is there's just greater awareness. And, and I think people are, are better equipped to know what the risks are. And, We'll see how that sort of comes out in in you know whether it affects the workforce going forward the next you know ten twenty years uh, whether it it sort of occasions some kind of cognitive dissonance among fans just given how how sort of morally uh, difficult it is to sort of you know if you let yourself think about it you know to be complicit in what is what these players are doing to themselves but at the same time again I mean 
people do know more, and, and I think that there's probably more transparency around the game than there was before, and I think that's a good thing. And But I think there's a difference in that you know, Tony Dorsett, for example, or Plunkett, they were at an age where I don't think people were aware of the harm this, no. this could do. And no. today's players, like, you know, for example, you talked to Brady, and I don't think Brady ever really addresses this issue. No, of, he doesn't. And, and so they're, they're kind of in this state of denial or they don't want to address the possibility that you know, that could be them 10, 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Brady in some ways, or, or I think it, there are some positions where you can probably make a case that you're relatively protected. I think quarterback might be one of them in this day and age, which is not to say that quarterbacks don't you know, get injured or right. do not get concussions and do not have long-term health risks. But, I mean, you see even as the rules are progressing, I mean, it is hard to put a tough hit on a quarterback, especially when they're behind the line of scrimmage um, without – drawing a pretty big penalty um and also you know brady's got a lot of his alternative medicine stuff that you can argue the merits of but but ultimately he believes very strongly in them and i think it 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 gives him a level of faith and comfort you know whether misplaced or not that that he will not pay you know the kind of price that say a junior Seau um you know paid in his career so no i mean i think but outside of a few positions i mean quarterback being one kicker punter um being you know others it, it's it, it's it's a game that's if you're going to play more than a few years is, is going to definitely leave you know many many scars you know, we're going to take a short break we, we'll be talking more about this issue and more as we talk with mark Levovich, the author of big game the nfl and dangerous times stay tuned for more of the cyber law and business report after this brief recess for our sponsors Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. 
The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back and we're talking with Mark Leibovich and we're talking about the issue of you know NFL players and their risk for injuries and um, particularly we were talking about Tom Brady and some others who you know who may not necessarily address this issue or publicly or have other ways of convincing themselves that they're safe. But you know, you you deal a lot in your book with the Patriots and you know, obviously they they're your team and mine as well. But um, you know if in the in the Patriot town you have several instances of cte that are, are very public sure. you know we had junior seau um aaron mm-hmm. Hernandez, um yeah and i'm sure that I'm, I'm leaving one or two out um oh yeah and, and so does that is that in discussion in that community not really i mean look i think every community has you know it's inescapable that there are going to be stories like this i mean um, you know, you just don't find a lot of people up there that say, "Hey, I'm not going to the Patriots game because you know Aaron because of you know Aaron Hernandez." I mean, look, it's obviously a terrible, terrible story and terrible you know situation, and and you know lives were lost. So, um, I mean, obviously it's 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 awful, but I also think that that like anywhere across the league, um, you know, sports fans have an ability to compartmentalize and. And not, um, you know, not 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 just sort of decide not to watch football because of you know a bunch of bad stories. It's just like it's inescapable, and it's something that football fans um, have decided for whatever reason that it's just worth the trouble. Right. No, I was wondering if the, the players, too. if there was any, it was if that was disquieting within you know the the player. I'm sure it was. Yeah, I'm sure like they all think about it. But I mean, look, they're they're trying to do a job. And right. They're trying to do a job for a very, very, very limited period of time. I mean, I mean, hopefully, many of them like doing the job. I mean, a lot of them don't, but it, it's what they do. It's their livelihood, and it's going to be their livelihood as long as they can maximize it. Because, um, you know, it, it's it's what their job is, and it pays really well. And it's and if you can somehow outlast the actuarial tables, which is like 3.2 years in in the NFL, which is the average career, um, and you're probably going to be no, I wouldn't say not necessarily well set up, but there's a good chance you could make a pretty good living and then move on to something else if if you you know if you're pretty well adjusted and pretty well planned to know that that this thing is not going to last forever. Now, I moved from Washington to LA in 1994, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. I remember I moved in November, and there was mm-hmm. a I saw an a billboard for tickets for the Raiders and the Chiefs. I thought, wow, that's a classic rivalry. I should get tickets. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was right around Christmas season. I said said to myself, you know what? I'll I'll get them. I'll go next season. And of course, that mm-hmm. was. And, and of course, the next month, yeah, the Raiders and the Rams leave. And right, uh, exactly. and so one thing your book deals with is the whole um, who gets to move back into L.A. and you know the Rams with right. the the Rams and and the Chargers as the um, reluctant second um, right. tenant. Um, well, actually, yeah. they weren't reluctant. It was their it was their host who yeah. was reluctant. Um, exactly. It, moving back to L.A. and I was wondering what your take was of of how the return to L.A. Um, has been for the NFL. Because to be honest, yeah. I think over 
after you know initial year or so, people get used to not having football, and it's it's not entirely yeah. clear to what extent the Rams or, or the Chargers are being embraced. Oh yeah, no, no question. I mean, L.A. of all places is certainly is is a market that has shown that, um, you know, for as you know, for as you know, these teams you know have their own histories and stuff. But I mean, there's plenty else to do in L.A. And there was it was unclear if the city or the market had an appetite for one team, let alone two teams. So I mean, I think that this move has been, um, you know, I mean, so far, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say it's been a disaster, but I think I don't think anyone wanted. San Diego to move to to LA at all. I mean, really, the one person who did was was Dean Spanos, the, the you know the the controlling owner of of the Chargers, and he made more money, I guess. I guess his franchise is worth more money, but LA didn't necessarily want him, and and I think the the fans or non fans of the Chargers in LA are kind of proving that. Um, San Diego certainly didn't want him to move. The other owners certainly didn't want him to move in large part. So. Um, I don't know what their what their future holds. I mean, there's this promise of this incredibly great um, great new stadium in L.A., which I no doubt will be beautiful. It's under construction, level, yeah. It's under construction, yeah. It's going to cost like you know a few billion dollars. And Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, is is putting most of the bill. So, I mean, I mean, good for him. At least taxpayers don't really have to 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 pay up for it. But um, look, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I mean, if the L.A. Rams are bad, I don't get a sense that people are walking around L.A. just just like depressed or anything. It, no, it's not at not, all. I mean, there's a great history with the Rams, but there's not necessarily – no one's ever, you know, thought that L.A. is like a great football town necessarily. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, you know, there, there's some excitement for the Rams, particularly at the end of last year yeah. and – in going yeah, and they're unbeaten now. So. Yeah, I mean yeah. they they're looking like contenders, but um, and yeah. you're I'm starting to see more merchandise, but oh, it, yeah. just, it doesn't seem to filter into the consciousness of the city. I mean, you, you yeah, can tell I mean, I think, when the Dodgers are winning yeah. or the Lakers are winning. There's a there's a buzz, and yeah. it's not no, here yet totally. for them. I think that that's right. I think you know, look, the Rams have an undeniable history in LA. Excellent. Oh yes, they were there long before the Dodgers and the Lakers were. So I mean, that, that's like that's not to be denied. And and also the team now is extremely compelling. You know, some of their players, their coach, um, you know, the stadium, their record. I mean, there, there's a lot to recommend it. Um, but at the same time, they're still they strike me as like maybe the third team out there. Um, but having said that, I mean, I think it's good that there's at least one team there. But I don't think a second team needs to be there. And and look, the NFL is a way of pissing off market after market after market, whether it's St. Louis or Oakland or San Diego or, um, I don't know, Cleveland when the Browns left or Baltimore when the Colts left. I mean, you know, these things do add up. And then, you know, you add like the markets that just absolutely, you know, despise Roger Goodell, whether it's, you know, New England or Dallas or or Baltimore or wherever. I mean, these things do add up and and there's a lot of bad will around stuff the league has done. And, And I certainly don't blame, um, you know, people in San Diego or Oakland or wherever just being through with, with the NFL. And, and fans don't forget, I was at the last um, Oriole home game at the old Memorial mm-hmm. Stadium, and uh, there yeah. was a plane that flew over that had some banner that was an epithet about Ursay. <laughs> you yeah, know, the really, owner of oh, the Colts who moved them to Indianapolis something like, you know, seven yeah. years earlier. Yeah, no, and I'm sure you'd probably, I don't know if you'd see a plane today, but I mean, wow. I mean, 
to me that was like like an all-time sort of cowardly franchise move just mayflower vans pulling out in the dead of night um yeah um i don't know i mean it was it's a dark history but look i mean that's that's sort of the power of the owners if they want to move they can and if they can get the approval of their friends and their business partners which you know if it's going to make the league more money they'll probably be able to get um that that's sort of how it works so the next big move is is las vegas and right. you know basically uh the, the the nfl owner's version of fredo i guess <laughs> is, right. is taking right. the team there and yeah what are the ramifications of, of the nfl being in vegas well, I mean, it, it is sort of, I mean, I guess as sort of a, as an observer of this, I mean, I think I'm curious, I think anyone is sort of curious to see how it's all going to work because I mean, other than their hockey team, which has done really well, yes. um, you know, Vegas is, has always been like a, a transient place. It's been a place that people pass through and you don't have a sense of, I, I mean, there, there's always been a sense of spectacle about Los Angeles in the same way that there's always been a sense of spectacle around the NFL, but they've never touched each other. Like the brainstem has never touched the, the brain, right? right? Or the brainstem has never touched the spinal cord. And if you sort of figure if gambling is the spinal cord of a lot of, um, you know, football enthusiasm around the country, I mean, it's always been like at arm's length. So look, I, I think I'm curious to see what it's going to look like. I, I also think that, I mean, it's, it's a pretty small market compared certainly to, to Oakland and, and the Bay area in general. It's, um, it exposes the league to all kinds of just towering hypocrisy on all of the the um, you know warnings and, and taboo of, around gambling and casinos and um, you know all the elements around Vegas that that they have tried to steer clear of and be all self righteous about. I mean, they just have to do a 180 around all this stuff now because they're in Vegas and. Um, but I don't look. I, I think the, the the hypocrisy of the NFL is not news to me. I just think it, it is sort of a perfect object lesson and sort of letting us all see it. But look, we'll see how it works. I mean, um, I mean the Raiders are a national brand. I mean, I, I always, even when they were in LA, I called them the Oakland Raiders. I mean, I think they 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 have a real um, a real footprint, certainly in Oakland and to some degree in LA. And I think you know they're they're probably the most popular team in California and have been for a long, long time. And, and, and in Mexico. You know, Vegas is not that far away. Yeah, and in Mexico too. Yeah, and Vegas is not that far away. And, and yeah. you know, Vegas has sort of a somewhat, you know, an outlaw uh, kind of gambler quality that, you know, the Raiders of Kenny Stabler and, and sort of the black hole evoke. So I think, you know, from a branding perspective, th there is some synergy there. But I also think that, um, I don't know. I mean, it also could be a monumental failure because the Raiders are not like a model franchise, and and Vegas doesn't really know how to do this. Uh, I mean, they how to do. I mean, they, they, this is you just you just get a sense of of like it being kind of like circus circus where people come through and say, <laughs> "Hey, let's go to a Raiders game." But like, if you're in Vegas for like a long weekend, saying like late November, and the Raiders are like, I don't know, three and eight. Like, are you going to want to go to a Raiders game? Um, I mean, maybe if your team is playing the Raiders, maybe your road trip if like you're a you're a Panthers fan and you want to just like come out to Vegas and see the Panthers play I mean maybe then but I don't know I mean uh it, it'll be interesting I, I guess just from a observer both as a game uh, of a game and also just as a business I'll be curious to see how it all works um you know when looking at the hockey team I I kind of mm -hmm. thought that this would be the people coming from other cities going to see the game there 
And and yeah. I actually thought this might be a cheap place to see a game because there probably wouldn't be that much demand. And right. um, but the the hockey team is competing with Vegas shows, which are quite expensive. Yeah. And so yeah, they're pricing absolutely. according to that, and they're and they're selling out. I mean, they're they have yeah. a, a devoted base. Do they? I mean, I, I haven't. I mean, they've been in existence for one year. I mean, it's obviously not. I mean, they're not going to make it to the finals every year. So I mean, I guess no. we'll see. If they return to like, if they reach their level, say of some kind of like maybe above average or mediocre, you know, like like any right. NHL team, they ebb and flow, I and mean, we'll see what it looks like then. But I'm going to guess still that the vast majority of people you see hanging around Vegas don't give a shit about. Can I swear on this thing? Don't give yeah. a don't give a rat's you know what on exactly. um, about hockey, and you know probably a much higher proportion would about the NFL, especially if they care about a team and the team happens to be in town, but. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, the NFL is much is in a much more sort of nothing to lose category, or the NHL is in a much more nothing to lose category because, I mean, look, they've they've failed so many times, especially on the Sun Belt. Um, right. I mean, why not just try Vegas? I mean, like you know, uh, well, it could could it be any worse than like, uh, you know, Kansas like, City, one of the Florida like, teams, uh, or Kansas yeah. City? Well, yeah, and even like Columbus or Nashville. I mean, these are I don't know. I mean, they, they do there is sort of like a throw it against the wall quality to the NHL and sort of see what sticks. And yeah, it looks for one season. It looks at least it looks like kind of a cool phenomenon, but we'll see if that lasts. I was actually in Vegas for a conference during the the playoffs. And uh, I was at some sitting at a bar and the waitress was wearing some snug, low, low cut shirt that said my cup size is Stanley. (laughs) That's funny. That's that's you know it's kind of dirty. I, I like exactly. It. I like that's it that's the Vegas so, approach. Now, Vegas. Um, you, you talk about um, the Steelers owner, the, the Dan Rooney, and his passing, yeah. and about how he had the view of putting the league first, and and you wondered what how he might what he might have said in in the the troubled year ahead that would include. Um, you know Donald Trump attacking the league over the the Kaepernick right. issue. What what do you think Rooney would have said? Well, I mean, look, I mean Dan Rooney. I mean, first of all, he was he was certainly a strong voice. I mean, he was also he, he probably would have been appalled by Donald Trump. I think, like many of the the owners, silently are, but. Um, but yeah, he would have also known that like there's a big problem here, and they got to sort of tackle this, so to speak, you know, from a business standpoint. But no, I mean, look, there, there's just not a lot of high principle involved in 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 just sort of. I mean, it's striking to me to this day is that no one, none of the owners publicly, um, they did privately, and that sort of tripped out. But none of them publicly. And certainly not the commissioner publicly said, "Look, Mr. President, you leave us alone. You like go take a hike or something like that." And you know, look, you're the CEO of the business. Like you run the business, you own the business, and you're being directly attacked by the president of the United States. And I understand that, you know, you might offend some fans if you say that. But um, I mean, it is amazing that just pragmatism just prevails over and over and over again. Usually, it's pragmatism tied to the level of greed that people you know, have become accustomed to. And, and the fact is a bunch of ratings points and, um, you know, poll numbers were, were probably driving that. And, and the, the prevailing view was just like, let's make that go away. And 
look, I mean, Dan Rooney, especially in his late years, was, was I mean, when he was older, I mean, he, he would have, I'm sure, counseled Goodell privately in some kind of probably cautious but ultimately principled way. And, and Art Rooney, Dan's son, is, is very much, I think, cut from the same cloth in that they're not going to sort of yell and scream. Um, they're not going to really go out on any kind of limb, but they'll, they'll hopefully, you know, hope, hopefully be part of a group think that, that prevails. Um, but look, it was an extraordinary situation. It looks like it's calmed down a little bit this year, largely because I think the president's been preoccupied with, with a bunch of other stuff. Um, but again, I mean, you just don't know when it's going to pop up again. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking more about Big Game with Mark Leibovich. You're listening to Cyber on Visit Report only on webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.